Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. be up here basically the whole time, which is kind of odd for me. But the, the hope is through this series and Psalms is that we are seeing our different emotions that we face and that we can process in a, in a biblical gospel-centered way how we can handle them. Because if we're honest, like we all face different emotions, we all go through different things. And when we look at Psalm 42, what we see is we get this glimpse into a person who is in utter despair completely just demolished. Like they have nothing to hope in, it seems like. And so if you don't know what despair means, it means the complete loss or absence of hope. The complete loss or absence of hope. There's nothing left. They are in despair. That would be a terrifying place to be. It would seem there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's no, um, you know, if I just make it through this, if I just make it to the next thing, it's going to be okay. There's no way out. There's no fixing it. But this psalm isn't just meant to show us the state of despair of the psalmist. It's meant to instruct us. That's really what all the psalms are for. If you remember last week as Corey preached through Psalm 1 to kick off the series, he looked at that and it talks about walking in the way of the wicked or walking in the way of the righteous. We don't want to walk in the counsel of the wicked. And so when we see this psalm here, we, we have to know and apply it as, a, as an instruction for us and, and to glean from it and to learn from it. So how do we handle distress and despair? Well, it's very important that we don't miss the very beginning of the psalm that's not going to be on the screen. And this is what it says. Most of your Bibles probably have it, but it's not in verse 1. It says, Psalm 42, it has a little headline there. It says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. And so maskil is not a word that usually translates into anything in the English language. But in the Hebrew, it is meant to make someone wise or to instruct. So that's what the word means. It is instruction, a word of wisdom. And this being a psalm is almost like a song. And so the psalm then would be a song that instructs or a song that is wisely crafted to impart wisdom to us as believers of how to handle despair. So it's really important that we pick up on that before we even go on to anything to know, well, why would this guy write this? Was it just his day in his diary and his journal that he was just really down and God in his sovereignty put this in his infallible word? Yes, but it was for instruction. God didn't just throw this in there just because he thought it was interesting. He threw it in there because it instructs, instructs us on what to do. So let's consider two things then as we dig into this psalm. One is, blessed is the man who meditates day and night on God's law. That's from Psalm 1. So through this wisely crafted song, what we're really doing is we're meditating on God's law through it. 
And then next, things like poetry and song are good because God made us with emotions, not just thoughts. I've heard many times when people say, well, I really enjoy coming to church. I, I enjoy the, the preaching. I don't really care for music. Or I really love coming to church because I love the music and, I, uh, and the preaching. I could take it or leave it. I've heard both. Um, I don't really know how to respond to either because I'm like, well, you don't like preaching. Great. I'm glad. I know that you're really bored during that 35 minutes then that I'm up there. But the, the reality is some of us are more geared towards following our hearts. Some of us are more geared towards following our heads. And I think both can be really good. I've seen in situations in church and just through Christian life that some people get very emotional or moved by emotions, but yet their head never catches up to where their heart's at. And then I see people who are very heady and really get things in their head, but it never gets into their heart. And the reality is for all of us is what we need to do. I heard um, Darren Patrick, who's now passed away, he, he made a really good illustration talking about the Bible and so what we need to do with it is not this, get it here, put it here, and out of our mouths. We need to get it here, let it go to our hearts, to our heads, then come out of our mouths. So here, to here, here, then out. If we take it anyway, especially the worst you could do is just have it come here and then just start blurting things out and you never took time to process it or get it in your heart, then you're just probably doing way more damage than you're doing any good. And so it's really important that we let it get into our hearts and that we really understand it. And so when we look at this, we can start just from a 30,000 foot view of this guy writing this psalm. And, and what's happening, he's being mocked. He's being um, questioned of where his God is at. This is all externally what's happening for him. He's being beat down mentally. Now, internally, he's a wreck. He is an absolute wreck. He is feeling just this pressure. He's panting for a drink of living water. Like, that is crazy. Like, he is just thirsting for God. He needs God in this time. He's crying day and night. It says that it is his, it's his food. His tears are his food. The waves are crashing over him. He feels like he's drowning in life. Some of you can relate to that. He's trying to remind himself to worship. He's questioning God, and he's almost trying to psych himself up a little bit that he can do it. That's a lot going on in his life. He feels wrecked. So I want to just really draw out some things for you to see from the sermon, but the big idea is this. Is our happily ever after awaits us in eternity? Our happily ever after awaits us in eternity. So often we think, if this will happen and this will take place, and then if I make it to this date, everything's going to be okay, and my life's going to go on happily ever after. I'm going to ride off into the sunset. Everything's going to be okay. That is a falsehood that someone sold you and that they messed you up because it's not true. You may never see your happily ever after in this life. So I hope that cheers you up. <laughs> that is, to me... For me, it's a comforting truth, a hopeful truth, but it's a sobering truth because the reality is that we might not get what we want in this life, that we may not get something better in this life. You may deal with whatever you're dealing with right now until the day that Jesus takes you home or he returns. We may never experience relief from pain or relief from a relationship or, or anything else. It may just keep going on. The, the relational strife, the marriage is hanging on by a thread. It may never get better. 
but yet Jesus is present and he's steadfast in his love. Could it get better? Yes, of course it could. Might it? We don't know. Could a chronic pain be healed? Yes, there might be. God might move within science, scientists and doctors, and, and there might be this new discovery in modern medicine that cures anything and everything. It, it could be just a miracle, and man, there it is. There's mental ailments that will never leave. There's good desires that will be left unmet in your life. There's going to be loss of loved ones. It seems that that loss will never heal. But yet, your happily ever after awaits you in eternity. So there's all kinds of situations, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to see, how do I get through then? How can I get wise instruction from this psalm so I can understand how to handle despair? And here's the first thing I want you to see is this. Never cease to remember your need for God. Never cease to remember your need for God. One of the main desires for preaching through the Psalms is that you will understand your own emotions and have a good gospel-centered emotional IQ. I mean, some of us are like, man, I'm super book smart, but you have no idea how to process your emotions. We need to be able to process our emotions in a biblical way. And so that's the hope for this, is that you can do that through a gospel lens. And so when I see this guy, this author, this Psalm writing this illustration of a deer panting for water from a flowing stream, that's good. I mean, it's pointing to his need for, for living water, for Jesus. I love the illustration. I mean, a deer, it's, it's, it's graceful, it's powerful, it's running, and then it's out of breath. But I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I've sat in a tree stand a lot of times. I've seen deer run, and they do their thing. I've never seen one panting and going to get a drink of water. Like, it just doesn't make it that far in my story, okay? We're just in there with it. But what I do know is I, I know dogs. I have a lot of dogs. I have three dogs. And I have a dog named Ranger. Some of you have been to my house. He's nuts. This dog has more energy than anything I've ever seen in my life. Like, literally, all he wants is a tennis ball thrown for, the, for him. Well, whether it's hot or cold, if I throw it enough, that dog is panting for water. He is just desiring a thirst. And like, as soon as we're done, I know I've got him trained. I'll take the ball and I'll say, last one, Ranger, and I'll throw it in the yard and I start walking to the back door. Before he goes in, he gets a drink of water because he's panting, he's thirsty. Imagine if that bucket of water wasn't sitting there. or Maybe now it's frozen solid. There's nothing to get. You're left with this thirst unquenched. There's nothing there for you. That makes more sense to me. I remember I used to go raccoon hunting all the time. I had, I had a walker coon hound. I loved going coon hunting. My dad would go with me, my brother, we would go. And it's, you go year round. So it, it could be hot outside and you walk to the edge of the woods and you got this dog in a lead. And all you do is you just click that lead off and bam, they're gone. They sprint through the woods. I'm talking full speed ahead. All they know is nose of the ground looking for this scent of a raccoon. So if they pick up that scent of the raccoon, then they, they track it to the tree, and then you do your thing with, with coon hunting. Well, they would need water, and I, I would watch these dogs in between, like going from one track to the next. They would look, is there a puddle of water? Is there, is there a creek around? And here's the thing about them is if there wasn't, they were so bred to just keep going. They wouldn't stop. Like the only way they were going to stop is if we got them back on the lead and took them back to the truck and put them back in the dog box and went home. Otherwise, they're going to go until they can't go anymore. That's what they're bred to do. But that's not us. 
See, we run so hard through life. We go through so much in life. And what we're meant to do, what we're made to do, is not to just keep going and just push through. And and just, it doesn't matter what's happening. We're meant to slow down and get a drink from living water, which is God. But so often we want to act like we're that coon hound. Well, it doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter. I, yep, I got that done. Let's move to the next one. Let's go on. And we just keep going and pushing and pushing and pushing until one day we just collapse. Like literally, that dog would eventually just lay down and just stop. And sometimes that's what we do. We just go so hard until we have nothing left. We just lay down and we stop and we just give up because we've pushed ourselves to our limits. And we don't realize we're meant to get a drink of living water. And so when we're going through hard times, we can't stop remembering our need for God. If we just act like we don't need him, eventually we'll start to believe that. We'll start to believe, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I can just keep pushing harder. I can, I can you know, read the right books. I can, I can do enough things to keep myself healthy. I'm not going to need God. But we do. No matter what's going on around us, whether good or bad, we need to stop, slow down. And that's, that's really, I think, was at the heart of what Corey was trying to get at last week was we've got to slow down. Hear what God is saying. Let him speak into our emotions. Let him speak into our hearts, our minds, so that we can honestly process what's going on and so we can see what he's trying to say to us. Replenish us, refresh us, give us that next boost of energy to go. If we don't do that, then we're acting like we can do this on our own. And so I ask you, do you desire a drink of living water? Because it's easy for us to forget our need for God in our despair. We'll just think that he's not there. He's not present. There's nothing to get a drink from. The next thing, though, what we do is we'll linger in our doubt. And I want to encourage you is don't linger in your doubt. I know that hate is a strong word, but I really do hate it when people act like anyone who has a moment of doubt is in sin or they're not a Christian. I I think that creates a very toxic environment in the church. And I say in the church, I don't mean heights particularly. I just mean in the church in general, is that you can't have a doubt. You can't question God. You can't say, well, God, I don't understand why. Or God, why is this happening? Because what happens then when you don't feel like you can question those things, when you don't feel like you can say, man, I'm really struggling with this, then what happens is you'll never vocalize those things. You'll keep it to yourself. And then you'll never tell anyone. And then just keeps compounding and snowballing, just rolling down that hill, just building and building and building and getting bigger and bigger until all of a sudden one day you're like, you know what? I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. Like, he hasn't been present in my life. I feel really isolated. Basically, feel like this psalm, the psalmist. And you're like, I don't, I don't even know if there's a God. And people are like, where did this come from? I can't believe you don't think there's a God. I can't believe that you're doubting this. Why didn't you tell me? And the reason why is because you never wanted to look, be looked down upon. Like, well, I can't believe you would question God. How dare you? A good Christian would never have lacked faith in that. A good Christian would never uh, question what God is doing. He's sovereign. He's in control. It's okay sometimes to question God. Like we see that here in the text. He's asking, God, where are you? What are you doing? There, where, where is your God? Why, why are you cast down, oh, my soul? Like he's really wanting to know, like, God, are you even hearing me? 
But we have to be willing to create an environment where we can be open and transparent so that people can say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm having a doubt with this. I don't know if I really understand whatever it may be. Then we gospel you through it. We walk with you in that time of doubt, in that season of questioning, so that you can come out the other side and be stronger in your faith. And if you're struggling with it, we walk with you in that struggle instead of just saying, oh, but we don't want to linger there. There is a difference in lingering in our doubt by ourselves, thinking that we'll just figure it out. We shouldn't do that. And in verses 4 and 5, it's really where he questions God. He says, like, why are you in turmoil within me? Talking about his soul. Like, he's questioning God. Like, why is it like this? In verse 9, he says, why have you forgotten me? Why? I mean, that's as blunt as it can get. He asks God, like, why have you forgotten me? And I want you to, to hear me again. Don't linger in it because you don't want to give Satan a foothold. But don't be afraid to ask those questions and verbalize those to people around you that you know love and care about you. It looks like God's forgotten him. He feels like God has forgotten him. And everyone else is mocking him, telling him that God has forgotten him. So yeah, he's hurting. And he's going to question God. And so that's similar to some of you. You're dealing with stuff. You feel like God's forgotten you. Others are telling you things that aren't biblical because you probably have, you should have friends in your life, family in your life that aren't believers that you're trying to be on mission for. And just the reality is they're going to give you counsel. They're going to give you advice that's going to almost be like saying, hey, where is your God? They're not pointing you back to Jesus. And so you start to question God. You're in that same spot. But hear me. Tell people. Tell people about the spot you're in. Tell them about your doubts, your fears, your struggles. And then tell God too and ask him to help your unbelief. I think it was so powerful last week when Jessica Franz was up here and she was part of the worship team and leading that worship. And, and she was talking about in Mark 9 verse 24 when, when the guy says, I believe, but help my unbelief to Jesus. Like, tell God, like, God, I, I, I believe you. I believe you exist, and I believe you're good, and I believe you've saved me, but help my unbelief, because I got a lot of that, too. Like, I'm struggling there, too. Like, and so I've had those moments in my life, for sure. Like, planting a church is hard, all right? Like, today, we're, we're a little on attendance. It's not a normal Sunday. I'm going to tell you what, five years ago, this would have probably freaked me out. You set up, tear down, Maggie shaking her head because she knows like she was there. Like, you know, we haul all this stuff out of a trailer. We set it up in the KC hall, which pretty ironic, right? God's sovereign. We're going back. Um, like, and then you set all this stuff up and then you are sitting on the front pew and like 10 people show and you're like, what the heck, man? That's a lot of work and no one's here. Like, I think this thing's going to fold. I'm not going to make it. Like, you really start to doubt God. And then and you go through all this time. And then you got to remember, though, like, God's called you to this. And you just, you kind of sit there, though, in your own despair and demise. And you're just like, man, I don't know. I remember, like, when Emily and I wanted to have kids. Like, I've brought this up before. But, I mean, like, I did start to question God. We were in a Sunday school class at our church then. And, Looking back, I really don't like how this was structured, but we were in the 
young 20s and married with no kids. If you couldn't get more specific for a class of who belonged in there, that was it. But guess what happens with 20-year-olds when they get married? They start trying to have kids. And then everyone started having kids, except for us and another couple. It was really disappointing. So then I worked with a guy who literally could look at his wife and she'd get pregnant. <laughs> and, I'm, and he was a horrible dad. I'm not trying to be mean, but he was. He's a horrible dad. He was not a good person. And I'm like, really? Okay, God, he's got six kids. I don't know that he takes care of any of them. Like, this dude is not good. I just want one. Just one. Just one kid. What's going on? Like, I'm questioning God in that time. Here's the problem. In that season of life, I did not have a church like this that I could come with those doubts, with those struggles, and vocalize them. I did not have it. That was not the environment. I would have been looked at like, really? You're, gonna, you, you're not happy for these other families that are having kids? I'm like, Honestly, no, I'm struggling to be happy for you. I'm, I'm struggling right now. I'm doubting God. Like, I didn't have that environment, but you do. You have that environment here. And so I want to let you know that this is my own personal conviction that you need sometimes to doubt and wrestle with God, but don't let that become your normal state of mind. You need sometimes to ask God, like, God, what's going on? Because I don't understand this. I can't get through this. That's okay. It's okay. But then what do you do? And that leads us to our next point when we're in that kind of despair is this, is we seek God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. Corey hit on this good last week, and that the counsel of who you sit under is going to drive your emotional response to things. And so if the counsel that you're under is, is wicked, it's, not of, it's of this world, it's not of God, then it's going to drive your emotional response and where you're going. See, we, we don't normally look at people as our adversaries, but that's how he writes it here in, this, in the psalm. He's talking about how his adversaries are asking him, where's your God? I'm just going to tell you, this would amuse me greatly. If I was ever talking to any of you and you're like referred to someone as your adversary, I would probably just start laughing because that's just such an odd thing in our culture today. Be like, yeah, you know, Joe, my adversary, <laughs> that'd be so weird. But that's, that's how he's, that was this time, right? That's what he's writing. His adversaries are, are mocking him. I think of Job when his friends come around and, and they're just giving him horrible advice. His wife's like, just curse God and get it over with, Job, and just move on. That's not what we want to seek. We want to seek God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. And so we really need to like focus on that. So when we are going through despair, go to his word. Again, not just so you can put it in the head knowledge, just so you can, not just so you can repeat it, but so that it seeps deep into your heart, gets into your head, and then you can say it, you can let it come out of your mouth, you can believe it deep in your core. Then we need to go in prayer. Like this is that meditation, right? Like this is exactly what Corey's talking about. There's the word, there's prayers, meditation, bringing it all together. We need to, to read his word. We need to know his word, but then we need to pray. And sometimes like what we just did, we prayed reverence. We, pl- we prayed uh, response and, and readiness and, and all those things, request. That was, you can get with me later and I can give you that, that process of how to do that. You can pray any scripture, 
that you just read. So you're in God's word. Now you're seeking God's spirit by praying his own word back to him. But then we seek God's people. It's so important for us. We need to have people in our lives that we can go to that, that aren't going to question our belief in God, or who aren't going to mock us, who aren't going to give us worldly advice. And so I encourage you, if you're not in a missional community, if, whether you're in this room or you're watching on Facebook, like this is the most important thing that you could probably do beyond your salvation is to surround yourself with a community of believers because otherwise your counsel is not going to be wise counsel. It's going to be that of the world or that of social media or, or that of just whoever you can find on TV. And so we're already struggling. We're questioning God. And then we got these voices plaguing us with more doubt. So then what do you do? Well, we should do what Jesus did. It's what he did in the wilderness, right? He prayed. He repeated God's word. And then eventually, like... He was with people who he trusted, his disciples. And so we seek God's word, we seek his spirit, and we seek his people when we're going through things. It's hard for us, though, to do this, right? We're not Jesus. We don't always just make the decisions to get in his word. We don't always pray. We try to push through. I, I'm very guilty of this. I've gotten better at it, honestly, since the merge. Um, and I thought about how much of this I, I want to, like how transparent I want to be. I would, but I, I, I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Uh, all I have in my notes is May 2019 to October or September 2020. That's all I put. So we're just going to wing it. In May of 19... We had two, two key families just up and, and leave the church. One, for whatever reason, to be back where they were. Another one, literally, it was like a weird breakup. Just they had borrowed something from me, and I came into the church one day, and I was sitting on my desk, and I've not talked to them since. So it, was, like, it just hit me hard. Um, Things just seemed like they were going rough for me. I couldn't figure it out. What I'm getting ready to say, I want to, I'm going to be very clear in. I honestly did not care if I lived or died. I wasn't suicidal. I want to be very clear. And I wasn't even like, hey, uh, y'all need to give a David afterwards. A dude was going to kill himself. No, I wasn't going to kill myself. I honestly did not care if I lived or died. If Jesus would have been like, it's your time to go home, I'd have been like, sweet, let's go, because I'm done with this place. I'm done. I was just over it. Like, I, I, I was, I sat and didn't do anything. I barely talked. I wasn't even, like, really talking to my own family. Y'all wouldn't have known. I'd fake it really, really good. I'm a pretty upbeat person. I like that goofy and silly. So I could just fake it and come to church on Sunday and fake it. But man, Monday through Saturday, I was done. I would drive around Collinsville sometimes at two in the morning just because I couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep at all. Just go drive around. I'd just try to clear my head because it was like eating at me. It was just driving me nuts. Like I, I couldn't even really figure out what was going on or what God was up to. I, and I didn't want to, I wasn't seeking God's people. I wasn't really praying like I should. And I was really only in his word to prepare sermons. It was really messed up. And so 
it's interesting then because I didn't know what God had in store. So that's May of 19. You got September of 19. This conversation starts. Well, why don't we merge our churches? And then you got Corey. And for those of you who know Corey, like Corey's going to ask you all these probing questions and make you answer them or just stare at you really awkwardly in silence until you do. <laughs> and so I had to start talking about it. And then he's like, you ought to go get counseling. I'm like, dude, I don't. I don't do counseling, bro. I'm a man. <laughs> I don't do that. And that's the problem. But then I did. And like, I prayed and I sought God's word. And then guess what? Then like missional community happened. And then I'm talking to people. And, and even outside of just my missional community, the relationships that I have with people in this church, I'm like, oh. And honestly, it probably wasn't until... Man, I put in my notes, like, September 2020, but it probably, honestly wasn't until, like, January this past year until I felt like God brought, brought complete peace in everything, in relationships, and what he had me doing here in this church, and what he had me doing in my life, and where I'm at. But it took a lot of time of seeking God's people, seeking his word, and going to him in prayer. If I didn't do that, I don't know... There would be relationships that were not fixed. There would be things that were still messed up. And I think, honestly, I would probably would have quit by now. I wouldn't be here today. I would have quit. And so no one really knew all this. Um, it's probably the most transparent outside of my MC that I've ever been about it. But I, I want you to hear that because I don't want this just to be stuff in theory. I want it to be reality that this is what you have to do. Because if you don't do it, then, what, then what's the point of standing up here preaching it? It's nonsense then if I don't really believe it myself. But then when I did all that and I processed through all those different channels, what I was able to do is this. I was able to remember all that God has done. And so as you go through this despair, you have to remember all that God has done because he's done so much. Like he has done so much. I was able to remember all that God had done in my life, the call to even go into ministry. The call to go down to Benton, Illinois, where I did not know where anything was. I didn't know a soul, but he called me down there to be a youth pastor. And how he shaped my heart and my life and my desire for missions and evangelism and my desire to go and plant the church. And then how he called me back to my hometown to plant. And all the salvations that I've got to see over the years now and just the amazing things that I've got to be part of. I was able to remember that because I was thinking back to who God was. And then I remembered all of his promises and really what I knew was in some form in the future. I mean, I don't know exactly what God's going to do, but I have, a, I have a pretty good idea what God's got in store for us. I feel like he's laid it on my heart. He wouldn't have me here in Collinsville. If I, if I ever stop having uh, thoughts of where I'm supposed to to help lead this church as one of your pastors, then it's probably time for me to move on to the next thing. But I feel like God has laid upon my heart things and I was able to remember that and rejoice in it. And that in, in verse four, that's what he writes. He writes, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and a multitude keeping festival. So he's remembering how he used to lead worship how he would lead these people to go into worship together. That is good stuff. Like some of you are going through hard times, but there was good times before it. You need to think back and remember that. 
So his soul is downcast. He's in despair. His innermost being is hopeless, but he remembers. He remembers shouting with songs of praise. That's, that's what we have to do. If we don't, we're going to just only think about the present, and then we're going to have no hope for the future. And so... What I would hope for you, and I, and I, and I will encourage you to do this because you see it all through the Old Testament, is all through the Old Testament, they, you could see where they set up different like markers, where they would stack stones, or they would build something so that when the generations later would come, they could look at that and they would remember what God had done in that current generation. And they crossed the Jordan, or when they crossed the Red Sea, and they would do things and say, this, so the future generations would remember. Some of you just need to journal those things out. Go back and mark them down so you can look back and remember what God has done. Just look back and remember what God has done. And so when you start to remember, what you can do next is you can rejoice in your suffering. Rejoicing in the midst of despair or suffering seems kind of awkward. You're like, I don't know if I want to rejoice right now. Like, my life's pretty horrible. So you can say that all you want. That's a good pastoral sermon point for you. Congratulations, David. Well, I'm going to read you a verse and why I think you should rejoice in those times. Colossians 1 verse 24 says this, now I, this is Paul, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the, for the sake of his body. That is the choice, the, the, the church, the church. We can rejoice because as sons and daughters of the living God, we get to fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Jesus Christ. Now, what the heck does that even mean? Because what, the question that went in my head was like, what, was, what Christ did on the cross wasn't sufficient? Like he needs more? No, absolutely not. His work on the cross is fully sufficient, fully atoning for our sins. But here is what it means, is that what Paul is saying is this, and, and I love what John Piper writes, so I, dude's way smarter than me, so I'm not going to try to redo what John Piper already wrote, so I'm just going to read to you that. Here's what John Piper writes. Now, what does this mean, that when Paul suffers for the church extending the hope of glory to more and more people and teaching them about the mystery of Christ and suffering in doing this. He is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. How can any man fill up what is surely as full as any suffering could be? And this is what Piper continues to write. I think the context that we just looked at suggests that Paul's sufferings fill up Christ, not by adding anything to their worth, but by extending them to the people they were meant to bless. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is that not that they were deficient in worth or merit as though they could not sufficiently cover the sins of all who believed. What is lacking is that the infinite value of Christ's afflictions are not known in the world. They are still a mystery hidden to most people. And so God's intentions is that his glory will be known to all people of all nations, of all tribes, of all tongues. And so by our suffering... As believers and doing so well based on the foundation of Christ and his gospel, what we're doing is we're then showing the afflictions of Christ to those who do not yet know him. We get to do that. So we are filling up the afflictions of Christ for the church. We get to do that. So yes, we can rejoice in that. 
that God is using us, that he sees fit that we could do that. But then furthermore, why we can rejoice is this is Jesus himself in Matthew 5, 11 and 12 says, blessed are you when others rival you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Not here, in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So again, your happily ever after awaits you in eternity. So the ultimate reason that suffering is this is so that Christ might, deep, might display the greatness of the glory of his grace. When he, we suffer, we are displaying his grace to a lost and dying world. That is good. That is good stuff. And so this psalmist in verse 8, he's saying... By, the, by day, the Lord commands a steadfast love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. He might be in utter despair, but he feels God's song singing over him. See, the God who loves you is the master of all your circumstances, the minute and the significant. He has set the boundaries to that despair and that suffering that you're going through. So you can rejoice knowing that he is not going to put you where you ought not be. Now, he is not saying God's only going to give you what you're strong enough to handle. That is, that's one of those ignorant coffee mugs that you need to go home and throw out, okay? Like, God's going to give you what he's strong enough for you to handle, all right? Like, he, that's what he's going to do. So get rid of that T-shirt or coffee mug or sticker. Get it out. And just know that when you feel like this psalmist, when you feel like you're drowning in the waves of breaking over you, he's got you. Because he writes that there in verse 7. These waves are crashing over me. It feels like he's drowning. He's got you. He's not going to let you sink to the bottom. So you're going to pass through all kinds of stuff in this life. But you can say that the goodness and mercy of God follows you all of your days. Which leads us to this. Look to eternity for your happily ever after. The psalmist ends in verse 11, still in despair. Nothing's changed. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I shall again praise him. Nothing has changed. He's still in despair, but he knows that one day in eternity, he will praise God again. So hear me. If you're in Christ, this suffering and this despair that you are facing right now, the pain that maybe you're sitting in, the relational strife that you're in, it one day will end and it will pale in comparison to what awaits you in heaven. There's something more than you could ever imagine. You can't create in your head a beautiful enough scene, a glorious enough thing for what awaits you in heaven. That. It's absolutely marvelous to even think about that we could be with Jesus for all of eternity and that all the things you've dealt with in your life are going to be gone like that. But hear me. Hear me for those of you who right now are hopeless, who you're in despair, you're in depression, and you don't know Jesus. That's only the tip of the iceberg. It's going to get worse. You got chronic pain? Your back jacked up? Wait till you're in hell. You're not even going to be able to get up. And you're just going to pray and thank God. I just, just a bit of relief. Just a bit. He's not present. He's not there. He's gone. It's eternal separation from God for all of eternity. Forever and ever and ever. And I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. It won't work. 
I just want you to know the, the, the reality of it all. Is that if you're, whatever you're dealing with in this life, there is nothing you could even imagine. As much as you can't imagine heaven, it's, you're not going to be able to imagine how bad hell will be. Whatever strife, whatever despair, it's only going to get magnified. And again, I don't say this to scare you because then there'd be a false salvation. I want you to truly see that his body was broken for you. His blood was spilled for you. The despair that you know, the depression that you know, the anxiety that you know, the pain that you know, he took it all. Every last drop of the wrath of God was poured out on him so that you did not have to experience it for eternity. Maybe not now in this momentary life that's just a blip on the radar, but for eternity, he took it all. And all you have to do is say, Lord, I need you. Save me. I can't do this on my own. I'm, I'm lost. I'm hopeless. I'm in despair and nothing's getting better. And I don't know if it's going to, but I at least don't want to experience this forever. I want to worship you. Save me. That's it. And so today, if you're here, we're going to stand and we're just going to take communion no music. We're just going to rejoice that through his broken body and his blood spilled for you, this despair is only for this moment. And for those of you that are here that don't know Jesus, if you're watching online, you're like, I don't, I don't know what this guy's talking about. This is freaking me out. Go read Romans 10, verse 9. Just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he died and rose again. Romans 10, 13. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone. Stand with me. I'm going to pray. You take communion. And then we're going to, we're going to go. We're going to go home. We're going to live for the Lord. That's it. It's an awkward ending, but here we are. God, thank you that you didn't leave us in a point of despair. You loved us while we were still sinners, while we had nothing to do with you, while we were enemies to you. We were your adversaries, and yet while we were your adversaries, while we were in this utter dis- destruction of everything that we have and of, towards you, God, you sent your son to die in our place to just to take all of your wrath that we deserve. And God, you did that so we did not have to live in an eternity of despair. Lord, thank you for saving us. I thank you for the people here and those watching online. And God, again, I pray for this COVID to pass and for healing. And God, I pray more so for the people that are here that do not know you, those who are watching you or watching this online who do not know you. Lord, I pray that you will move in our hearts and Lord, and you will save them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You take communion.